Welcome to PwC IFRS Talks, your source of all things IFRS, technical accounting matters, business issues, current standard setting and regulatory updates. I'm your host, Ruth Preedy. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the impacts of COVID-19 again, but specifically looking at the impairment of receivables in the context of corporates. And to help us through that, we've got Marie Klingback. Welcome back, Marie. Thank you, Ruth. Happy to be here. So before you've talked to us about classification and measurement and hedging, which was, you know, tough stuff. Today, we're hoping that we're going to keep it lighter and we're going to focus on from the corporate world. What do we need to think about in IFRS 9? That's right. Um, so let's, and we're specifically focusing on the impairment model, which, so the expected credit loss model, we might call it ECL as we go through. So let's start at the basics. What are the key principles to remember when looking at that expected credit loss, obviously in this current COVID-19 environment? Sure. So when estimating your expected credit losses in the, in the current environment, it's certainly challenging and entities will have to use judgment, but it doesn't mean that it's impossible to do so. So a few things to keep in mind is that certainly the economic environment has changed, right? And we've all, we're all living through that as a result of COVID-19. So the fact that the economic environment has changed cannot be ignored. The second point is that companies should use all reasonable and supportable information available. So that means your historical information, your current, and also your forward-looking information where possible. And finally, the last key principle is that different approaches can be taken, right? And there's room for judgment. There's no one-size-fits-all. Perfect. Okay, so that's a great refresher. What are some of the key things that people need to think about? Yeah, so if we take a step back in IFRS 9 sort of includes a simplified approach. And under that simplified approach, your expected credit losses will be measured in an amount that's equal to your lifetime ECL or lifetime expected credit losses. And that simplification really eliminates the need to calculate your 12 months ECL and then assess whether there's been a significant increase in credit risk. Now, that simplified approach applies to trade receivables or contract assets that do not contain a significant financing component in accordance with IFRS 15. It also applies to trade receivables or contract assets that do contain a significant financing component, but where the entity then chooses that simplified approach as its accounting policy. And there's a similar accounting policy available as well for lease receivables. So in in practice, in my experience, a lot of corporates actually do use that simplified approach. And when that simplified approach is used, really the key consideration will focus on the measurement of your expected credit losses. That's what I'd like to focus on here is what are the key considerations around measurement, assuming the corporate is indeed in the uh, simplified approach. Okay, so simplified sounds good. I like something that's simple. So let's focus on simplified approach. And like you mentioned there, we're going to start with measurement. So what sort of methodology do they follow? Yeah, so as I said earlier, right, there's no one size fits all and different approaches may work depending on the fact on factors such as local conditions or available data. Now, as you probably know, IFRS 9 allows a provision matrix to be used for recognizing your expected credit losses on trade receivables. Now, that matrix typically has different loss rates for different time buckets of receivables. 
Now, in addition, depending on the diversity of the customer base, different provision matrices are used for different groups of receivables that share sort of similar credit risk characteristics. Now, what's key for that provision matrix, particularly in the current environment, is that it has to include forward-looking information. Okay, so that's that's going to be pretty tough, like it, especially like you said in the current environment. What? Do, how practically can corporates actually incorporate that forward-looking information? Yeah, that's a great question. And again, historically, where the entity was in a more stable economic environment, the inclusion of that forward-looking information may not have been material. But as you said, Ruth, right, in a current economic environment, this may no longer be the case. So really what needs to happen is that the loss rates will need to be appropriately adjusted to reflect that forward-looking information. The difficulty, of course, is that we're at unprecedented times, so it may be hard to come up with that data. And of course, the data will actually vary depending on the type and the nature of the receivable. But let's take a simple example. Let's say it's a corporate that has receivables from retail customers. So what you could do as a starting point is look to the behavior of your customers during previous recessions to kind of establish that macroeconomic data points that are correlated to your loss rate. Let's say, for example, this could be GDP, gross domestic product, or unemployment rates. The entity could then use forecasts of GDP or unemployment rates and convert those into loss rates that are then reflective of those forward-looking conditions or that forward-looking information. Again, what you also have to keep in mind is you have to be careful between the linkage between that macroeconomic data and the loss rates. So in some cases, there may actually be a lag between that data point, that macroeconomic data point, and when the loss actually crystallizes. So let me give you another example. Let's say the corporate is an electrical utility that has receivables from its retail customers. Now, a rise in unemployment may not trigger an immediate increase in losses for the, for the utility because customers may prioritize paying electricity bills before other more discretionary expenditures or bills. So the increase in unemployment may only trigger an increase in your loss rate if that unemployment is sustained for a longer period, say six months, for example. So you also have to take that lag into account depending on the facts and circumstances. Wow, that's really interesting. So when you're looking at your sort of your buckets and looking at who all your customers are, you almost need to think about like customer behavior, previous recessions, what specifically you're selling to them and how, you know, how that all incorporates. Lots to think about. Our corporates are going to be busy. Okay. And then Obviously, another thing we're seeing is corporates or entities offering price concessions, discounts to customers. How does that work with the loss rate for ECL? Yeah, that's a great question. And again, it's key to, rem- to remember that, right? The measurement of, of expected credit losses, of course, focuses on credit losses. So to, those are losses that are due to the customer's inability to pay. Now, it's important when looking at the loss data to segregate those losses between those that relate to credit losses and others that relate to customer disputes, price concessions, or other discounts that the corporate is willing to grant to their customers. And in many cases that we've seen, actually, entities will need to apply their judgment and really ask themselves, what is commercially driving the change in payment terms to work out whether something is an expected credit loss adjustment or something else like a a discount that would be more of a revenue adjustment? And again, an example would be as a result of COVID-19, we've seen companies that may give customers a discount on goods and services, for example, because 
this, the goods or the services could not be completed in the manner that was initially agreed in a contract. So the, the corporate is willing to give a discount to their customer, that wouldn't be considered a credit loss. So that would be an example of a price concession and that would then follow the guidance in IFRS 15 rather than the credit loss guidance in IFRS 9. Brilliant. So key judgment there to decide actually, you know, do you look, is it part of your expected credit loss methodology or actually is it a price concession in IFRS 15 revenue? Plenty to think about. I think when I spoke to Sandra when we were doing ECL, but maybe more from a broader um, a financial perspective, we talked a lot about multiple scenarios. Do corporates need to think about that too? Short answer is yes. And again, um, IFRS 9 <laughs> requires entities to consider multiple scenarios. Now, of course, again, in a more benign economic environment, it may not have made a material difference again to the outcome. But however, in the current environment we're in, that may no longer be the case. So again, in many countries or jurisdictions, you know, there's a little doubt that the economic conditions deteriorated. And that should now be reflected in the different scenarios that are applied and also the weighting applied to those different scenarios. For example, you know, corporates may add one or even two scenarios to reflect more severe downsides, or also maybe increase the weighting allocated to a downside scenario. Okay, and all of this scenario analysis working out is effectively to get to your loss rate, which you're going to use in your simplified approach, your provisions matrix. Is that correct right. or have that's I got right. it wrong? <laughs> Good. No, that's right, yes. Good. And then, so as part of that provisions matrix, we talked, well, you mentioned earlier about the groupings, I always call them buckets. Do they all need to change as well? Yeah, that, that again is a great question. So usually receivables are grouped, right? If the credit loss experience is not significantly different, when there's significantly different loss patterns for different customers, then those customers should be in different groups. So for example, a company might sell to customers in different industries, and some of those customers may be more impacted by COVID-19 than others, and the loss rates may be different for those uh, different types of customers. So what you need to think about when you look at groupings, certainly geographical regions, product type, customer ratings, credit enhancements, such as credit insurance, but also the nature of the customer. You know, is it a wholesale type of customer or more a retail customer? And again, when looking at those groupings, it's really important to look at the drivers of your credit loss for those underlying receivables, because some of those may have changed in light of the, uh, the current environments. Now, again, that grouping is, a, is often a matter of significant judgment and developing those groupings will, will require, you know, analysis and thoughts as to whether, you know, different groupings may not need to be applied going forward. And frankly, in some cases, Riff, you know, the stratification of the grouping may actually need to go down to an individual customer in some cases. For example, if a particular customer is in financial difficulty, you would now require an increased ECL compared to maybe historical averages overall different types of aging categories. Okay wow so you need to look at those groupings as well. I think the other thing we're seeing a lot of in the current environment is government support and you know there might be some measures to support debtors helping them pay. How do those you know schemes interact with ECL? Yeah, you're right. We're seeing a lot of government support in many jurisdictions, different programs that are put in place. And so when that support is intended to compensate for those cash flow shortages, it would need to be considered in estimating the ECL. 
Now, in some cases, it will take time for some of these measures to be put in place. And even when they're in place, right, some entities may prioritize paying items such as maybe rent or employees over other suppliers so that will also need to be taken into consideration. Okay, brilliant. Another thing is, you know, there are other credit enhancements or guarantees provided to the entity. What do we need to think about there? Yeah, good question again. So credit enhancements, so financial guarantees or credit insurance that are sort of integral to the receivable are taken into account when measuring your expected credit losses. Now, a common example may be there's a requirement to have credit insurance in place for all export sales to certain countries. So again, sales to customers in those countries could not be made without that insurance, and that insurance is sort of part of the sale agreements. Now, in that case, the insurance would reduce the risk of loss. Now, of course, management will also need to consider, right, who's providing the guarantee or the insurance. If the, if the insurance is called upon, can the insurer, the other party, actually meet its obligation when called upon? So that's also a factor in the current environment that needs to be focused on. And finally, you know, the, the, the coverage also needs to be looked at, right? Management should look at the, these insurance policies to make sure that the coverage is actually still in effect. Because in some cases, these policies may actually exclude losses due to a pandemic. And so there wouldn't be any coverage in the current environment for those losses. Now, that's, again, if for all the credit enhancements that are integral um, to the receivables. Now, if there's any other credit enhancements uh, that are not integral to the receivable, you wouldn't take those into account when you're measuring your ECL. However, they would sort of go into IS37 into the re reimbursement right guidance, and you would set up an asset under the IS37 principles. And again, we all know that, you know, under IS-37, you'd book that reimbursement right when it's virtually certain um, that the reimbursement will be received. So let's say it's virtually certain that your credit loss will be compensated. You then recognize that reimbursement asset as soon as the loss is recognized in the income statements. Now, I know you're going to ask me that, Ruth, but, you know, how do you determine whether a credit enhancement is integral or integral. not? In the, <laughs> yep, my answer is it kind of depends on the facts and circumstances. The concept there is that if it's in substance part of your contractual terms and not recognized separately, it's considered integral. But that's certainly something that uh, requires analysis. Okay, so another thing to watch out there with the sort of insurance and also read the small print check you're actually covered when you're looking at yes. your, does it impact your ECL, something I've been stung by many a time. Okay, so what about extension to payment terms? That's another thing people are doing to support their debtors. What do they need to think about there? Yeah, good point. Again, extension to payment terms, that could also give rise to uh, an ECL, unexpected credit loss, unless you're compensated sort of for that lost time value of money, or unless your effective interest rate is zero, for example. Now, this could affect longer term receivables. However, you know, if your interest rates are low, the impact may be relatively small compared to the impact of the credit risk, i.e. That, that you're not going to be paid the amount that you're owed. Okay, so loads to think about there for measurement. Before we move on to our favourites, presentation and disclosure, anything else to think about for measurement of the ECL? Yeah, so I guess the final thought at an overall level would be, right, corporates need to take into account all of the available information. And really, your expected credit losses need to represent an unbiased estimate that's neither overly optimistic nor overly pessimistic. 
And really management should focus on the sectors for which COVID-19 is likely to have the biggest impacts, but also look at any simplifications that may have been used previously that now would no longer be valid. And we've talked about right, incorporating forward-looking information and using multiple scenarios, for example. And again, to the extent not all management hasn't been able to fully reflect the impact of COVID-19 and all the models, additional adjustments on top of the models would then need to be considered. Okay, perfect. Okay, so lots to think about. And uh, I think my message here is you can't just roll forward your normal provision matrix. You need to have a look, make sure you've adjusted for your forward-looking information. And sorry, we're recording, you know, from our home office and I just had some children whizzing around past the window with their bikes <laughs> shouting. So you might have some fun in the background of this one. So moving on to last bits, because we're coming to the end now. Presentation. What do, is there anything we need to think about there for presentation of ECL? Yeah, so IS-1 tells us that your impairment losses under IFRS 9 need to be presented on the face of the income statement as a separate line item. So you can't net off your impairment losses under IFRS 9 against your revenue. Uh, now, again, that, that separate presentation might not have been given in prior years if the ECL and the year-over-year -year movement was actually material. But now, there will likely this year be more focus on this requirement in light of COVID-19 and also the fact that your ECL numbers may be higher than, than in previous periods. Now, the key thing to remember as well is that those discounts or price concessions that we've talked about earlier, those do not represent credit losses. So the presentation of those would be different. So if the change is something other than credit, it would not fall under IFRS 9, but it would actually fall under IFRS 15. And those discounts or price concessions would therefore be recorded as a reduction of revenue. And this would obviously have a knock-on effect on your gross margins. So be careful, again, when you're segregating the data between credit losses and other, because it will also impact the presentation on the income statement. Okay, perfect. So we might see an extra line item sneaking in when something when it becomes a bit more material this year. And it's our favourite. We can't not end on it. What 2,000 disclosures do people need to think about? Yeah, so I think the key principle would be that the disclosure shouldn't be uh, boilerplate disclosures, right? They should really tell the story of how COVID-19 actually impacted the entity and how they've been incorporated, how the effects of COVID-19 have been incorporated into ECL and other estimates. So, you know, a simple roll forward of past disclosures probably wouldn't meet that overall objective or principles. So if I take a step back, what are the key areas to focus on? I'd probably say, right, disclose how COVID-19 has been reflected in the inputs and assumptions used to measure ECL, including, you know, the forward-looking information we've discussed and any additional adjustments that have been made. The other area would be credit risk concentrations and whether the effect on different sectors was actually taken into account and how that was taken into account. Another area would be credit risk management practices and how those have changed in light of COVID-19. Uh, for example, extended payment terms, payment holidays, or other reliefs that were granted. And so the, the last one would be the critical estimate disclosures. Now, this would include disclosures around forward-looking information if that's deemed to be a critical estimate. But also another example could be the determination of credit adjustments versus price control sessions, right? So what falls under IFRS 9 versus IFRS 15. So those will really be the key areas to focus on from a disclosure perspective. 
brilliant thanks marie so make sure everybody you tell your story so i feel like ecl on trade receivables it's tough for corporates you know so but thank you they were very helpful guidelines and hopefully people will think about how they need to adjust their um, provision matrix when they're listening to this Thank you very much. There's plenty of information on PwC Inform on our uh, COVID-19 section and on pwc.com and lots of information about ECL for corporates as well. Thank you for listening. Stay safe and happy accounting. The preceding programme was brought to you by PricewaterhouseCoopers LLP. This content is for general information purposes and is not a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.